Welcome to Strength in the Numbers. My name is Andrew Codd, accountant, author, and commercial finance entrepreneur. And it's my job each week to bring you leaders in finance and business and deconstruct with them their real stories, insights, and hard-won lessons into practical advice on the key strengths and qualities you need to remain relevant in accounting and finance today, as well as the steps you can begin to take to elevate the impact you make to have a fun, successful, and rewarding career in accounting and finance. Now let's go over to the show. All those types of questions are intended to create some discomfort. And after you've created that discomfort, then you got to have a solution. <laughs> you know, like, all right, you know, how do we fix it? There's actually a formula real quick. It's called D times V times F is greater than R. Okay. So R is resistant. Big number. These are just some key insights from the internationally recognized Gary Kokins, an expert speaker, author, consultant in finance, management accounting, enterprise performance management and business analytics methods. And Gary goes on to say that people like the status quo and only really babies like change. And a big thing for us in finance and accounting nowadays is if we were to stay in our comfort zone, it's a big threat to our profession. So we actually try and drive deeper on how to overcome resistance and deconstruct further this simple formula on how to better overcome resistance to change. We also tackle some misconceptions around costing. And I'd be curious to know how many of you listening actually know the difference between an expense and a cost. Also how finance professionals can continue to stay relevant and some of the mounting threats to the accounting profession. Look, hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, you can go check out the detailed timestamp show notes, key quotes, resources, and way to connect with Gary at sitnshow.com. And we always appreciate your recommendation on future guests, but also to your friends and colleagues about the show. We're on all the major platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Spotify. Look, it was a real great pleasure to catch up with Gary. I read a couple of his books a very long time ago and really just delighted he had the opportunity or we had the opportunity to talk about what's really going on what really matters in finance today and bring to you those many years gary's picked up of great insights and great thought leadership so sit back enjoy and over to gary in the show so gary welcome to the show it's a pleasure to be here thank you for inviting me andrew it's our pleasure to to have you and i i sort of heard your name many many years ago just from my, my perspective when I ventured into management accounting so it's um it's a bit of a, a cool thing to be able to do to finally catch up with you on a podcast together but uh, some of our audience will not maybe be as familiar with your background so would you mind sharing a brief introduction to your journey in accounting finance for audience please absolutely well first of all I graduated in 1971 from Cornell University in industrial engineering and operations research and then I got my MBA at Northwestern University's uh, Kellogg School of Management. So if people are doing the math, they're going to determine I am 70 years old. So my grandsons are 17 and 19. My career was really, I would kind of simplify it in three thirds. The first decade was in industry uh, with a large conglomerate in the USA, FMC Corporation. I wound up being a division controller in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Then middle period was a consultant with Deloitte and KPMG, and then EDS, Electronic Data Systems, which is part of HP. And then up to five years ago when I retired, I was 16 years with SAS, the, it's a really large analytics software. And my accounting, as I mentioned, at age 27, I wound up being this division controller. I like to say I'm an engineer masquerading as an accountant. And I've been in the accounting field and the CFO space mostly ever since. So an engineer masquerading as an accountant or finance professional, interesting, I suppose an interesting uh, way to look at it. I mean, 
Why would you say that? Well, because most of the accountants are trained, including like CPAs for general ledger, double entry bookkeeping, journal entries, all of that kind of stuff. But in, for external reporting, that's for valuation, things like for manufacturers, inventory valuation, cost of goods sold. But management accounting is about creating value, providing information to line managers, employee teams, executives for insights and decision support. And to do some of that, you really have to not comply with rules, generally accepted accounting principles, like in the U.S. for the SEC and other regulatory bodies. You you do modeling and you create, you convert the data into information and the information is the power. And you really have to have an engineering, I think, mindset to do that. It's an interesting way you played that back. I hadn't heard that way. Is it, is it like we're sort of expected to deconstruct what's there and maybe innovate and come up with something novel and new or or something of value? Well, you know, most of the source of accounting information comes from like payroll systems and purchasing systems. You know, that's all transactional stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I like to say, and those are expenses, but I like to say expenses and costs are not the same thing. You know, expenses are when the company actually exchanges money with third parties, like pays, you know, suppliers or employees. Currency exits the treasury, but all costs are calculated a product cost, a service line cost, a channel cost, a customer cost. And when you convert that, you know, then you can true for, at least for commercial companies, you know, do true profit margin analysis. Of course, one of the problems I think we'll talk about is overheads and how the accountants traditionally allocate, notice I'm being a little curt here, allocate <laughs> the overhead. They do it like spreading butter across bread. And um, there are superior ways to get much more visibility and accuracy. Well, actually, just on that on that one, I I feel like most of my career has been be, uh, been really applying sort of cost accounting or standard costing approaches to organisations to better understand margins, uh, you know, appreciate where some things are being done well and could be better elsewhere, and sort of drive the better pricing and better decisions around pricing in that way. But I suppose, like, I mean, and even at that. That part of it, I've not spent as many years looking at this as you. I, for our audience, you know, I think they probably got a view, say, on cost accounting and cost in general. I mean, would you perhaps maybe address some of the misconceptions and explain for them what is really what you're referring to from a cost perspective? Well, I'm going to have to mention the word, and it's going to upset some people, activity-based costing. Um, it really got a black eye, bad reputation in the 1990s. Uh, most of the models, and they are models in the beginning that then turn into systems, were way over-designed and way over-constructed, uh, way beyond diminishing returns on extra accuracy you know, for the extra level of effort. There were misconceptions that, oh, every employee has to fill out a timesheet and people hate timesheets. And some of those projects were taking six months or longer. And then the consultants were a part of the problem here because the partners like billable hours. So they got the young consultants in. You know, I actually have a technique because I am partly retired. I do a few gigs. It's a two-day workshop it's called rapid prototyping. You build the very first ABC model in a day and a half and bring the executives and line managers in the afternoon of the second day. Very engaging because you're modeling your own organization. And when they come in, the light bulbs go on. Oh, that's what it looks like. Oh, that's how you do it. Oh, I could do margin analysis. Oh, I could do benchmarking with apples and apples, not apples or oh, this, oh, that. And, um, and then you do a couple of iterations within three or four weeks, you go to permanent repeatable production system. But here's, let's get back to the point. The problem is how flawed that butter spreading is. You know, these allocation factors like headcount, you know, number of units produced, sales dollars, and 
or sales euros, whatever the currency is, none of those allocation factors reflect the unique consumption of those end-to-end -end business processes and the work activities that belong to them. So if you were to trace and assign them based on cause and effect relationships, and we'll talk about the causality principle because it's fundamental to calculating costs, you'll discover compared to that standard costing system, in fact, some of the products or service lines are way over-costed and the others mm. must be under-costed because it's a zero-sum error it's game. Has to be. You know, yeah, now it satisfies the audit, you know, so EY, Deloitte, <laughs> you know, KPMG, whoever can come in, yep, yep, check it, fix, but it's wrong in the parts. What that means is the CFO and the accounting department is providing misleading and flawed information to their line managers, and um, they're going to make mistakes. And I actually think some of the bankruptcies that have taken place for the last decades, and it's surprising how many bankruptcies have really taken place. I think it's because they're misled. They think some products that are profitable and they price them wrong and competitors come in a little under and poach them, you know, and then it winds up the sales force is selling stuff that they think is profitable, but it's really mm. unprofitable. So the sales volume could be going up and the profit margins are going down. Oh, no one can explain why. I completely agree. It can just lead to really bad behaviors. Actually, just, just out of coincidence, I was uh, getting some new tires on my car yesterday and I was talking to the business owner because I hadn't caught up with him for a while and just asking him how things were. And he left his previous supplier because um, he was, he, it was part of the arrangement. He had to keep his tires on stock at the, the supplier's warehouse. And I think he had to keep something like 50,000 euro of value in there. But then one night he just happened to be at work in his in his uh, in his garage, and the computer booted to life and he saw the valuation on his stock at that warehouse decreasing. They, I think they were knocking like one euro fifty off each tire. But essentially he got a phone call the following day from the the supplier saying you need to top up your tires by another thirteen hundred fifteen hundred euro. And he was saying, well, hang on a sec, like, you know, I saw what happened. So that's why there's an alleged fraud in this case. But to the point that having incorrect costs in there meant that he was going to have to put in more working capital. And I think for any business out there, if they've got a situation where their costs are misleading, they could be either selling unprofitable business or putting in more working capital than is necessary to go fund and drive the business. So I think it's very important, Gary, we address the misconception, but also what can we do better to make sure that the cost information we are using is going to drive the right decision-making? Do you have any thoughts for our audience on that one? I'm in complete agreement. I think it's um, probably going to offend maybe some of the listeners, <laughs> but I think that it's the accountants are underserving, maybe being irresponsible, not unethical. Unethical, yes. you know, you go, you know, that's, you go to jail, but uh, being irresponsible to provide this flawed and misleading information. And a lot of it does come from the allocations of the indirect expense commonly called overhead, but overhead is becoming a substantial component of the three universal components of anybody's expense structure, direct material, direct labor, and, um, and then the indirect expense. And I know when I said those words, people say, oh, well, this is manufacturing. Well, no, I understand. No. In the United yeah. States, I learned that only two out of 10 jobs actually make products. The other eight are in services, travel agencies, banks, insurance companies, but they all have outputs. And mm -hmm. outputs, um, whether they're tangible or intangible, you know, processing a loan 
applies as well. So when the accountants basically spread that overhead, and then sometimes they don't have, as manufacturers have, even for direct labor, they don't have standards or material like in a manufacturing. Uh, activity-based costing can actually apply to direct expense conversion into cost as well. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think a lot of these, I think there's really strong applications in, so, uh, in a lot of these more modern or emerging business models. I think, I think uh, you know, the, whether, whether, whether it be, actually, I suppose a lot of these recurring revenue businesses as well, where there is that focus, uh, particularly as they're, they're trying to grow their revenue, is, is making sure that they're building profitable business for the future so that they'll continue to be in business. So I, I guess in that regard then, Gary, are there sort of any, any sort of things people should work out if they're adopting appropriate costing methodologies first time any sort of lessons uh, obvious things that um, that might be obvious to you and maybe not obvious to people new to it well you know i hate to come back to this activity based costing now there are conditions where abc applies i think it's i would say 70 to 80 percent of organizations you know um, we're really talking about we will call it trying to create direct costing so the highest form of direct costing is actually project accounting uh, so organizations that are, you know, one of a kind or make to order, you know, they're going to use direct sort of some sort of project accounting, building, constructing buildings, you know, and the like. But ABC really should be applied, you know, for the remaining, especially for the when you have repetitive recurring uh, yes. processes. There's value to two broad audiences. There's the strategic value, which we just described, you know, margin analysis, validating pricing, but operational people can apply. Uh, benefit as well. I'm talking about mm. process improvement, things like lean management, Six Sigma, yeah. cost equality, lean accounting. And lean accounting and activity-based costing can coexist. They're, they're actually two different ways of, of displaying the information. The lean is really kind of like stringing the activities, pearls in a net, create what are called value stream maps. Yeah, but with that stuff, uh, whereas the ABC is reassigning the expenses into, uh, you know, product services, channels, customers for margin analysis. So that's strategic. The operational is really helps with cycle time reduction, waste removal. They like to tag or score the activities as value added or non-value added or different what are called attributes, kind of the color of money. So I'm just a big advocate, you know, don't do that spreading of the butter and have mm -hmm. cause and effect relationships in the way the expenses are consumed by the outputs. Yeah, I think there's some tremendous amount of applications there. I think I think it's why I've sort of stuck with it. Now, now, Gary, I'm going to have to pull you up on something because in your introduction, I, you sort of underplayed the impact a lot of your writings and books and thought leadership has uh, has also been. I know definitely on me, but also on our profession. I, I suppose during your career, a lot has probably changed. What sort of things should we be looking out for now to remain relevant? Well, let me first reflect back on, on my career. I think the careers have a lot more to do with luck and circumstances than being smart and competent. And I, I had two lucky breaks. The one I mentioned when I was 27 as a division controller in this plant in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, after a couple of years, I had the chance to become operations manager on the factory floor. And I used the phrase, I then had to eat the accounting data that I was being served by the <laughs> controller that I was. And I found much of that information to be at best useless and at worst dysfunctional and misleading. And that was my wake up call of the difference between external financial accounting, you know, and for valuation and internal management accounting as I stated earlier for, for insights and better decisions. But my other lucky break was in 19, 1988, KPMG Consulting struck an exclusive contract with Harvard Business School professor Robert S. Kaplan. And many 
of the audience will recognize him, even though he's a U.S. Mm -hmm. professor. And they'll recognize his name because he co-authored the research with Kaplan and Norton on the balanced scorecard strategy maps KPIs. But he did the early pioneering ABC. So for five years, I got I was recruited to them from Deloitte. For five years, I did nothing but implement ABC. And then I wrote a book. And that's what led to some of the books that you're referring to. But then what happened is later on in my career, I was being pigeonholed. Everybody say, oh, Gary Cokins, you're famous. You're the ABC guy. And I'm like, wait a second. You know, I know about cycle time, quality, all these other things. That's when I kind of heard this term performance management. Mm -hmm. What is that? You know, it's got to be something more than a HR personnel thing, you know, employee appraisals and stuff. And that's when I said to myself, you know, there's really the integration of all these moving parts, profit, cost, measurements, strategy, execution, enterprise risk management, lean on, you know, they're like gears in a machine. And that's when I wrote my first of several books and then many articles on enterprise and corporate performance management. It's the integration of these methods. So, you know, my advice, you said, is really, I think you're asking for advice for professionals, especially young ones, you know, yes. is, you know, get out of the box of, you know, just external reporting, adopt some of these progressive methods, start thinking like the line managers, you want to almost get in their shoes and determine, you know, what is the type of information that can help them make uh, better decisions. Look, I, mean, I think that's really great advice. It's, um, it's sort of snapping the line at reporting and moving beyond that. And I mean, in your mind, do you think there's a role then for getting even closer to to the business in terms of not just providing them with that information to make better decisions, but maybe go and help them implement it? Well, implementing would be implementing the methods in the system. So that in is because we are talking about management accounting, you yes. know, we're going to need to do that. Although I've learned many lessons in my 40 plus year career, you know, you need to involve the line managers in designing these systems and variables or not variables. I'll just say fact, we'll get to vary. We got to need to talk about variable costing in a few minutes here, but their involvement's really important. And the more they're involved, the more they're going to buy in. But getting buy-in is important, which is something we also need to touch on. I know we only have a few minutes in this, but we've got to talk about change management because there's a tremendous amount of resistance to change by anybody. It's just human nature. You know, people like the status quo. Only babies like change. And uh, to get <laughs> to get this stuff, these, these buy-in and attention of line managers. That's actually, I, I think it's a funny comment, actually. You know, only babies really like change. Um, it's, just, it's just like, feels like we have to go backwards a bit to go, to go forwards. But that, that's why I guess what I was getting to with the implementation and the change. And what I find is we miss an awful lot of is, um, is we, we, we understand the why we're trying to make better decisions. We sometimes forget the who. You know, who are we doing this for? It's, 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 it's those people we're working with. The, the, the managers we're meant to be supporting. The, the leaders we're meant to be helping with decisions. So like this, this is what I find really odd is, I mean, I think all our listeners could probably re recall of a initiative, whether it's a, a, an improving a report or if it's implementing a system, where we've probably not even consulted the business if it's something that they've wanted or needed. You know, that, that's got definitely got to change. And I, I suppose then in terms of the, the change management and getting buy-in, I mean, in your mind, why do we need to be moving in that direction? Well, it's because all decisions are in the future. And when you look to the past, I mean, that's the world of, you know, last month, last quarter, that's full absorption costing, you know, it calculates how those expenses are really converted into outputs, product service channels and so forth, uh, processes, including 
But when you go to the predictive view, it's much trickier. You got to do think like an engineer because you have to classify the behavior of the resources as sunk, mm. fixed, step fixed, or variable. And that classification depends on a couple of things. It depends on the planning horizon, because in the very short term, a capacity is not easily adjustable. You know, you don't terminate employees on Monday because there's not enough work on the house and you hire them back on, you know, on Tuesday when there's more orders, you know. But as the planning horizon goes out, you can replace full-time temps, full-time employees with temporaries or contractors. You can lease assets you would have purchased. So this classification is important and also really depends on the type of decision you're making. So but one of the powers that I'm going to come back to ABC is you get a bonus when you're doing the historical cost. You get what are called unit level cost consumption rates. Mm -hmm. Things like what's the cost per type of order in a hospital? What's the cost per type of for blood for a blood test? And when you go to the predictive view, and this is, I think, second semester of freshman year at Cornell University Industrial Engineering, volume X times unit level consumption rate equals capacity required. What is the type and number of headcount? What's the amount to spend with suppliers? So you really now are moving into what is referred to as marginal or incremental expense analysis in the mm. college textbooks is called in the relevant range. And again, a lot of this is outside the comfort zone of CPAs and regular accountants. You know, they're just like, well, I'm accounting. I'm accounting for what happened. So it's really thinking to in the shoes of the line managers, they're making planning decisions. They're doing what if scenario analysis. They're doing capital investment justification. So they have to have this predictive view. That's what I struggle to reconcile sometimes, Gary, is that with that ability to account for things, essentially just a, a, a short movement in mindset closer to that of the, the manager making the decision, we got to bring a lot of practical skills to go help them do that to be more predictive. I mean, what's holding us back? Well, this is where we get into the resistance to change outside their comfort zone, fear that it's going to take a lot of extra work to do it. Um, they triple the size of the accounting department. Well, actually, I, I might have agreed with you What? Well, how many uh, on that last one, right? Probably about 10, 15 years ago. But, you know, we all know that there's a lot of digital finance technologies that in theory should be freeing up capacity. <laughs> just use that word capacity to go and do some of this more relevant and, and useful stuff to, to managers in the business. Why one of the reasons many of these new FP&A, you know, financial planning and analysis software yes. vendors, you know, are all promoting move to the cloud and close the books, you know, more quickly instead of three and a half weeks when you, you know, close <laughs> it, you do your, I mean, I was in those shoes, you know, you do the report for the board of directors, you take a deep breath and the hamster gerbil wheel spins again for the next month cycle. There's not enough time, you know, to do this stuff. So they've got to create the time to do it. So actually, just on that one, yeah, creating the time to do it. Um, any, any sort of useful ways on doing that you've seen, Gary, that you might maybe share with our audience? Well, that would be closing the books more, you know, more quickly or adding one analyst, a financial planning and anal an analysis accountant, you know, who has these skills. It isn't just about bookkeeping and, you know, ledger, double entry bookkeeping, as I said, journal entries. It's about thinking about how do you do capacity requirements planning. That's really approaching. And there's another variation on this. It's the annual budget moving to rolling financial forecasts. I mean, everybody knows there's problems with the budget. Most people do. There's a lot of jokes about it. You know, it takes a couple of months to prepare and it's out of date. And a couple of months after you publish the thing, it goes through a bunch of executive tweaks once you produce the thing in the first place. 
Um, everybody has all these spreadsheets to consolidate up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down until the executives, you know, like the number. You know, you almost wish they'd tell you what number do you want in the first place, <laughs> you know, but that's actually not what you want. You want to know reality first. And so these these methods I was describing, not only uh, projecting, you know, the forecast volume and mix, and that's where forecasting comes in which you can reforecast at frequent intervals and keep recalculating to get pro forma income statements and balance sheets, which leads to, you know, ultimately to cash flow statements. You know, that's the last in the line. And that's what the treasury function's looking for by month out 24, 36 months. I'm a big advocate to stop budgeting, you know, stop it. <laughs> I was going to say, that's one way of freeing up time, right? <laughs> you know, well, the question is if you stop budgeting, is what was the purpose of a budget in the first place? And then how do we replace it? And then what I've been describing is the way you replace it. And then you move towards frequent uh, updates because the only independent variable when you're doing budget is really the forecast, the volume and mix. That's what's placing the demand on the consumption of the resources. Now I'm back to the, to the uh, you know, resource capacity planning. Yeah, so, so, so Gary, look, this is like real tremendous advice. And I think there's some really key pointers in there for our, our audience to go away and consider. But um, I was curious from your perspective, if you were to look at the advice you've received over the years, I mean, what's been the best bit of advice you've received? Asking questions. Earlier in my career, I think maybe my ego got in the way. You know, oh boy, you know, I got these nice, although I was college degrees, I was raised working class family. Just want to let you know, I'm, I'm Greek American and my Mother and father had a little delicatessen in Chicago. We lived in a tiny apartment above it. So you know, I'm not like a golden spoon in my mouth. But, you know, in the earlier in my career, I like, look what I know and I'll show you stuff. And maybe I'm, some people are interpreting it that in this conversation. But at some point I learned it's all about asking questions. It's the Socratic method. If you really want to get change, because people do resist change, you've got to have a few components. And one of them is create discomfort unless people have some discomfort or dissatisfaction with the current state, they're not going to change. And you ask questions like, do we know what things really cost? Do we know where we really make money? But let's talk about measurements. Are we measuring the right things? You know, do the employees, managers understand the strategy on and on all those types of questions are intended to create some discomfort. And after you've created that discomfort, then you got to have a solution. <laughs> you yes. know, like, all right, you know, how do we fix it? There's actually a formula real quick. It's called D times V times F is greater than R. Okay. So R is resistance, big number. Since the three are multiplicative, if any are zero or very small, you're not going to overcome the R. Well, the D I just described, you're going to need to see some big D. And V is these enterprise performance management methods. I talked about activity-based costing strategy map and so forth. F in the equation is the sleeper. F is first practical steps, because if they think your solution, your V in the equation is un impractical, overly theoretical, unaffordable, they're not going to move. And my approach to F is rapid prototyping, pilot, start small, think big, crawl, walk, run, fly. You know, first get them engaged, which is instead of taking six months to build a big accounting system, you know, do the rapid prototype, build a model high level real quick, not even purpose for any use of the information. And then you started the journey towards getting the buy-in and then complete, get to it a permanent repeatable production system that you can refresh periodically and provide good insights for managers. 
I, I loved I actually hadn't heard of that one before now, Gary, but I think you've just hit the nail on the head on each of those elements from a, a strong change management approach. I do I do I will reinforce with our audience though is the worst thing you can do is increase that level of discomfort with all those questions, which by the way is the right thing to do. It's just you'd better have something at the end to offer for it, <laughs> a way of doing something about it. Otherwise you've just given people a reason to stay up or keep them up at night without any solution, it'll probably work out worse for you having asked those questions um so um so just a word of warning is, is follow gary's advice on that one that there's other steps that have to be followed on that so uh, thanks thanks gary for that um and i suppose in terms of resources you might maybe recommend our audience go check out uh, what ones have you found useful on these topics we've been discussing SEMA, you know, AICPA merged with SEMA, Chartered Institute of Management Accountants, and then I'm very involved with the Institute of Management Accountants. IMANET.org is the website, and there's a whole slew of, uh, re, you know, downloadable material. In fact, if you Google mine or search on my name in the IMA website, you'll see a lot of white papers and statements of management accounting. So I'm not a big fan of reading books anymore. They're just, you know, too long and so forth. Um, you know, you know, one of the things I want to turn the tables on you, Andrew, but I think we need to talk about what are some of the threats that are on the horizon for the accounting profession. And one of them is going to be artificial intelligence, robotic process automation, machine learning, cognitive software. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I, th I think I think we should, because um, as much as uh, what we've been discussing have been sort of our toolkit, traditional toolkit that's been at our disposal, whether we've been using it or not. Um, some of these new, these could be actually new to to our, our audience and our listeners. So uh, use the word threats. You know, I, I lo look at threats and opportunities, but maybe which one do you want to start with first there, Gary? I mean, um, they're, they're all sort of getting press at the moment. Well, the, the obvious threat is the elimination of jobs. I mean, yeah. things like payroll, clerks, accounts payable, accounts receivable, processing, boom, computer's going to do that. Audit, audit's going to be 100%, no more sampling, anomalies and outliers will be detected. Things even like financial reporting, XBRL, I can't remember what that acronym stands for, but it's uh, where the financial, external financial reporting will be digitally transmitted to regulatory agencies. This is all going to happen much sooner than people think. You know, it's not like it's going to happen, you know, next month or this year, but it's just a couple of years away. There are some significant software vendors that are just focusing in this artificial intelligence. So people have got to be prepared. You know, I would probably question back, Gary, like, how, how can we get best prepared in your mind? You know, getting certified like CGMA with the AICPA SEMA relationship in the Institute of Management Accountants, and there are 134,000 members in 140 countries, the CMA, Certified Management Accountant. Also, I always tell young people, you, you've got to bring value. You know, that's the first thing you, when yeah. people say, what do you do? Say, I bring value to my organization. And, and it's more than just closing the books and, you know, reporting you know what happened so personal growth is what's key yeah i i agree with you in fact actually you know one thing that's probably changed over the last number of years is when people ask me what i used to do i said look i'm an accountant nowadays you know i think we need to look at what we do in terms of the value we offer and i think that's really great advice to our younger listeners and also to our, our listeners who've been around the while is is it's made that challenge it's like look where are you adding value it's, it's not you know it's not necessarily a smart answer i remember someone Someone asked me, what do I do for a living? And then I sort of said, well, I, I help make make uh, large organizations loads of money. I mean, it's probably not like a smart answer like that, but know our own particular areas. 
and and where we're adding the value or where we'd like to add value and go and um go and skill up or resource up to go do that because if we're adding value i guess gary that's the best way of limiting any of these threats you know coming back to that value point you made i mean is that the best way of i suppose mitigating the risk of these threats yeah absolutely one party well there's two parties i'll talk about um that the accountants can really help is sales and marketing Mm. i believe that customers are the source of value creation for shareholders and owners the accounting, the sales department pretty much is, it's all about sell, 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 you know, and what you've got to really identify is what type of customer is most attractive to retain, to grow, to win back, you know, or acquire, which types are not, how much we optimally spend growing and retaining them, price discounts, you know, coupons, offers, deals, you know, whatever. And um, I think it's essential if you're going to do this activity-based costing to not stop at just the product gross profit margin line, but go below it, selling, distribution, marketing, customer service, a P&L by customer. That allows this, the marketing and sales department to know it isn't just about selling. It's about, no, it's about selling profitably what is the more yeah. profitable. But let me mention a th- another party and then we're nearing the end of this podcast. It's leadership, the executives. And I think in the past, the best leaders and executives had the best answers. You know, today, I do not think that is the case. I think today the best leaders and executives have the best questions. There's too much complexity, uncertainty, volatility for them to rely on their gut feel or so-called sixth sense intuition uh, or the answers that they had in the past that got them promoted to the top. They need to really create a culture of investigation, discovery, and that's where big data and data science and analytics, the growth of analytics comes into play. And that would be a whole other podcast, Andrew, about... How do we introduce, you know, analytics? I mean, correlation, regression, clustering, association. I know many people took those courses in college and you just wanted a passing grade and get the heck out of there. But, you know, sorry, (laughs) it's here. It's a competitive advantage to have those skill sets. And it doesn't mean the accountants have to have those skill sets, but they need to be sure that some of those types of skill sets are in their organization. Yes. I like that way. I think you take the bit of pressure off uh, in some degree. We don't have to go learn this stuff. Just as long as it's it's in some way available uh, and uh, you know i think i think you hit the nail on the head gary that's you know it's about asking better questions nowadays and and that complexity means it's more difficult to go off intuition there's just too many variables to to just go based off intuition so that's uh, that's just fantastic advice all around really appreciate it and um should you know should i you know i've enjoyed this conversation should our audience wish to continue it further you know where's the best place to connect with you at well, my website is www.garycokins.com, G-A-R-Y-C as in clock, O-K-I-N-S.com. And there's a contact us tab at the end, but there's a whole lot of free downloadable articles that I've written. So, and my email address is gcokins at garycokins.com. So that's the quickest way. Awesome. Well, well thank you for that, uh, Gary. And I will put those resources in the show notes as well. And I suppose, look, um, you know, we've covered an awful lot on this show. Um, but if you had any sort of other parting thoughts, maybe for our audience uh, before we wrap up the, the show. Well, I'm going to just come back to that change management, you know, that's really key to to big, figure out how do you get buy-in. And the problem is most accountants are what I would call Newtonians. Probably, Andrew, you and I are. <laughs> Newtonians to us, the world's a big machine. Just give me the pulleys, lovers, dials. You know. yeah. We need to be somewhat 
Darwinian. No, we need to be somewhat Darwinian, you know, sense and respond. There's behavior involved in all of this. Yeah. I, I love, actually, I love that. Like, you had me down to a T there. So, no wonder why I think we get on so well, Gary. So, look, um, thank you for being such a great guest mentor and investing your time on the show with us today. My pleasure. Thank you, Andrew, for having me. So, there you have it. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you'd like to know more about our guests today, their bio, and follow up on the resources mentioned during the show, you can find all the relevant links and more at sitnshow.com. There you'll also be able to get access to earlier shows, read the latest blogs. There's also an opportunity to subscribe to our newsletter, which will give you heads up as to when the next show is coming out, latest events, news, and anything that's going to be relevant to help you have a fun, rewarding, and successful career in finance and accounting. And just before you go, we really appreciate your feedback. If there's something we can do better on the show, something that's not working, or something you'd like to see, even a guest you'd like for us to invite onto the show, someone who you think might be able to benefit you more and also the rest of our community, please let me know. You can email me. I'm at andrew at sitnshow.com or feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Just drop me a message so I know how you found me and we can connect. And really, it's our community that will make the show. If we keep engaging and driving each other on, we'll keep on building our strength in the numbers. When all is said and done, if we can do the numbers better and finance better, we'll create more opportunities for ourselves, our friends, our families, our communities and our businesses. So until next time, have a good rest of the week. Take care and let's keep building our strength in the numbers. 